from the creators of Relevant Magazine, this is The Relevant Podcast. Tuesday, February 18th, the year is 2020. You're listening to The Relevant Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Huckabee. I'm coming at you from Nashville, Tennessee. Meanwhile, down there in Orlando, Florida, he is taking a break from his hard work working down there in the Nevada caucus to come back and produce the podcast just for us. <laughs> he's, he's almost got Always. that tech issue soon. We're going to get some results any day now. So just he is chill been, out, Democratic voters. He's been, he's been tweaking... He's He's been he's been tweaking some of the uh, some of the the nuts and bolts on the shadow app and they are good to go. He assures yeah. me that this is going to be a a, a stunning success. Mm-hmm. A turnaround from the Iowa days. It's our illustrious producer Chandler Strang. Hello, <laughs> and up there in Loveland, Virginia, it's our friend Jesse Carey. Hello, hello, Chandler. I'm curious about your your caucus app because some for some reason Michael Dukakis has won the caucuses <laughs> and I don't know. I just <laughs> am not fully trusting. Uh, not fully trusting uh, the results, but hey, democracy. Yeah. <laughs> and we are always happy to have with us back on the relevant podcast. Oh, he's got a new album out, and I've been listening to it all week. It is our friend John Mark McMillan. Hey, John Mark. Hey, guys. How are you doing? <laughs> Good man, dude! Congrats. <laughs> the day has. Fi- I feel like we've been talking about this uh, uh, for for months now. The day has arrived. People with dreams dropped on Valentine's Day. Yep. Uh, what's it What's it been like seeing the reception come in from from fans? It's been amazing. Like really amazing. Like I think people really like it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do too. That's got to be. That's got to be a good feeling. It is. You can feel. I think you can feel it when people aren't connecting. Be like, yeah. Be like, maybe the internet's just different yeah. now. So I don't feel it, but this, I really feel it. Like, people are excited about it. And it's nice because you work real hard on something, <laughs> you know, when you put it out, and you're like, I hope it, somebody likes it. <laughs> yeah. Because there's kind of a sense, like, sometimes when you're, when you get some of the reception, even if it's positive, like, are they just saying that because they have to? Like, yeah, are they? Yeah. Yeah, like, are they just trying to be nice to me? Which they don't. It's the internet. People obviously yeah. don't have to be nice. No, like, not at all. Let my mentions show people don't feel any obligation to be nice <laughs> if they disagree with something you're doing. And, and, no. and John Mark, we, we talked about this before the album came out. Um, and you know, the, I think one thing that people might be connecting with. Is, I mean, obviously the the music is incredible, but just sort of like the vibe and the theme of it, kind of cho- choosing to go in a direction that you know is kind of like this album isn't like cynical it's not like a deconstruction album it's certainly thoughtful but the approach is more and maybe this is the wrong adjective but it's more celebratory it seems like or at least at least more like like i said uncynical and and more you know positive in a lot of ways than some of like the music that you know we've heard from from a lot of artists these days that really focus on tough things and and deconstruction yeah you know for for maybe listeners who didn't hear kind of our last conversation why did you want to take that approach and and what and was it kind of refreshing to be like you know i'm not going to be like cynical or focus on you know doubts but really kind of lean into 
like I said, that that kind of like celebratory, you know, yep. this is life, this is the moment. I want to express that, you know? Like, do you think people are responding to that? And why did you want to take that approach? Yeah, I totally think people are responding to that. I, I think I took that approach because I normally when you're doing a record, you're thinking about, well, like, why do I deserve to have something out in the public? You know, like what, yeah. what, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, like, and if I'm doing something uh, someone else is doing, then it's sort of like, does it deserve to be out there? If, if everyone's doing the same thing, like, why do I need to do it? Maybe deserve isn't the word, but like, why do, why do something if, if there's a bunch of people doing it? And I think subconsciously, I'm always thinking about like, where is my like shelf? Where's my space? You know? And there's just so much cynicism right now that I thought it might be like nice to be offensively optimistic and see how people deal with that. Yeah. You know, this is so trendy to be angry and frustrated and cynical. And I can actually identify with all of that, but it just got a little bit boring to me, all the cynicism. (laughs) And I thought like, this would be a real fun time to just totally flip the script. And there's some heavy elements like lyrically, but I thought I could just lighten the mood a little bit around these heavy elements and it might make things a little bit more exciting, you know, and not just so heavy and optimism can be its own form of protest, right? If it's done thoughtfully and it's own with like an awareness of the realities of, of what you're protesting against by choosing optimism that feels like a resistance in a way. Right. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And I, I, you know, like I really wanted to do something that brings people together. You know, and I think yeah, a lot of the yeah. problems we're facing, even as as a nation, I feel like people think the answer is to make everyone <laughs> like um, bend to your will. You know, it's like if we can, yeah. if we can, <laughs> if we can just make the other side just bend, we're going to win. But I don't think people yeah. realize that it doesn't it doesn't work like that. Like, well, I don't yeah. think one side is just going to get so powerful that they just destroy the other, you know. And if that happens, it has happened in history. It's not very pretty. You know, and yeah. I think it's I think it's actually more helpful if we can try really hard to see one another as human beings, you know, and so uh, without like giving anyone a pass, you know, yeah, I wanted to try yeah. and create yeah. a humanizing. It's a humanizing effort. I wanted to humanize people the best I could. Well, you know? and that's a that's a great thing about like the album and kind of art you know, with that in mind is like, it creates an avenue for middle ground, right? Like, totally. you know, once you get too far off middle, there's a lot of things that a lot of people may, you know, the the crazy thing is like, there are tons of people and I'm sure everyone's kind of interacted with, with individuals like this on uh, social media from time to time, no matter what your kind of political or religious opinions are, um, where in if you were to sit down with that person and just ask them like a series of questions about kind of high level values, even stuff about faith, you would probably agree with the person on like 95% of things, you mm-hmm. know, but mm-hmm. it's that 5% that is like that dividing line. But you yeah. know what I mean? Like, oh, you voted mm-hmm. this way or, you know, you think this or, or you think, you know, that that really gets focused on. But I feel like art like this highlights that, you know, the middle of the, the, the good part of the middle of the Venn diagram where, yeah. you know, we might, you know, there might be stuff on kind of the outer edges that, that we don't see eye to eye on, but man, we can kind of, there are still things that we can kind of celebrate together. Do you kind of like, as an artist, do you feel any kind of responsibility ever to kind of create avenues for middle grounds like that, where people from a lot of different perspectives could come to your concert and enjoy this music because it's focused on, on kind of that non-cynical approach. 
Um, maybe, I, and maybe, maybe it feels like a responsibility. I think more like I, I've, I've started to see it as something that I enjoy doing, you know, yeah. Yeah. it's like, you know, is, is music in general is about connecting with people. I mean, just like the nature of music, like that's what music is essentially, you know, is you hear these sounds and, um, and you know, like if you're walking in nature, you hear nature sounds, you don't feel this like consciousness behind it. Yeah. You know, but when you hear someone sing, you know, <laughs> you, you know, there's a person connected to that. And I think yeah. that's why people listen to the radio. That's why people listen to music is they're somehow connecting to other human beings. They feel less alone. That's why they play music in restaurants and in retail stores. Because mm. no one wants to be in a big store by themselves. It's yeah. very uncomfortable. Yeah, and if yeah. they turn the music yeah. off, you get uncomfortable immediately because you realize exactly how alone you are in the store. Yeah. You know, so they play music to make you feel like you're not alone. That's what music does, you know. And so, like, I, I really enjoy that aspect of it, you know, figuring out how yeah. to make people feel connected to one another. And, you yeah. know, it's interesting. This is I know this is sort of a tangent, but I think it goes to prove your point. We were in uh, my wife and I were in London over the new year and we went to this restaurant that, that she'd been quite excited about that's very famous for its wine selection and, and she's she's very into wine so she wanted to go check that out we went in there's no music they don't play music in there so we wow. sat down and it's like and everybody's talking like you're in a classroom you know it's kind of that like like you feel like you're not even supposed like are we allowed to be in here or to say anything and <laughs> we asked about it or like there's no there's no music and they're like yeah it's part of our they honestly the servers seem just as confused as we were by the choice. I don't know if this is a new thing they're trying, but they're like, yeah, it's kind of a vibe. We're, we're trying out to encourage conversation. And I'll, if, if you're a restaurateur out there considering this, it's a miss. That is not, a, <laughs> yeah. that it, it is not. It does the opposite. Yeah. People feels uncomfortable. It is not, it People is are not like conducive looking for AirPods to conversation. Like and it's part of that is like societal conditioning, I'm sure. But I think yeah. part of it is what you're talking about, John Mark. It is that sense of music is such a communal feeling that really mm-hmm. invites more conversation. Even if it's just background chatter, it is something that really opens up you, the fe- this feeling of being community and we're part of something and there's things happening and there's life in the air and around us. And it is such a unifying thing and instead without it there at least in this restaurant i feel very aware of strangers around me yeah and uh, like like oh i don't know who are these people well, what are they doing listen, here? this is here's a hot take i feel, <laughs> and i'm gonna have i'm gonna have library people come at me and i don't care because like i think libraries <laughs> are like a, a a great institution like i think they're fantastic but i think they're very underutilized right like i i, I w- w- real quick Show of hands around this table. When's the last time any of you guys have been to a public library? Like, like in the last year, have any of you gone? Pretty recently. Pretty recently. <laughs> yeah. I, actually, I, I, I go. I go with some regularity. John Mark. I go a lot, actually, because there's a really great library by my house, but also because my kids, it's a really great free yeah. and safe place for my kids. <laughs> yeah, so when yeah. I'm like losing it yeah. or it's raining yeah. outside, like. I'll take them to the library and they will just go. And there's only one exit. So I know they're safe wherever they are in the library. <laughs> and it's very quiet, they're so. lost in the books. Yeah. yeah. You're facing an unfriendly crowd maybe here, Jesse, yeah. but, but I'm not like <laughs> well, a library. Okay. Guys. So here's, here's my take. Here's my take. 
I feel like a lot more people, especially in our generation, because I feel like it's like <laughs> the libraries are now, and man, I'm, I don't care if I get arrested for this. Libraries now feel like they're made for little kids and super old people that are just looking for, it's the, it's the, it's the age margins of society of people just looking for something to do during the afternoon one day. And there's nothing wrong with that, but I think they would attract a little bit younger of a crowd if they would get, you know, if they would take some of these cues and try to make them more social, you know, like pump some music in, you know, even if it's like local music or something like, you know, people I feel like would would not. Be, I always get uncomfortable in libraries for that reason. Like, I feel like I'm walking on eggshells. Like I've been at the gym before, like a rec center where the music goes out and everyone's working out. And all of a sudden it just like it goes from like this real social thing of like kind of nodding at people working out, just feeling good to every. Everyone trying to disguise their grunts and heavy breath in the silence. So, you know, you just hear like it just like like the music's playing and it's just like top 40 and everyone's kind of doing their thing. And then all of a sudden it's just <laughs> like just and it's like, OK, I get why they're playing music here. But I think libraries could benefit from the same thing. That's a rabbit trail and a tangent. But, you know, like it's who's alone. going Who's going to the library these days to actually just sit down and read a book? Like, if I want to read, I got plenty of places to read. I don't, it like, this isn't like a, you know, detective movie from the early 90s where I'm going to look, I have to have silence where I look through microfilm from newspaper <laughs> clippings from the 1950s to, to solve a long dead mystery. You know, I don't need the perfect silence. Like, I got plenty of play. I got a phone. I can read a book wherever I want. I want to go somewhere that's got some, some tunes playing where I feel connected with people in the community you know but i think it would have to be the right kind of music if you're going to have a if you're going to play music in a library because it's not there, there's a lot of music that i don't think would be suitable for the overall aesthetic of a library for the energy of a library and i don't know what kind you like i i feel like even you couldn't just limit it to npr it'd have to be <laughs> i don't know if you could have lyrics it may have to all be instrumental may, maybe chandler just maybe something. we can start farming out some very, of chandler songs uh, uh, yeah. it's just and, and the other thing when you bring kids in the library you feel like every person's cognizant of like there's no place where you're quicker to be like i don't know whose kid that is and it's like your own flesh and blood we're like i don't don't know that kid's really acting up it's very inappropriate we're in a library here child you know like you'll just own your own kids in a library because they're humiliating music music would fix all of this would fix all (laughs) they need to play people with dreams in public libraries across america bring this country together again you know (laughs) if we solve a lot of problems like that well it's not john mark we we do love you but you are not the only musician we're bringing on to the podcast today Uh, a little bit later on we're going to be welcoming our friend matt redmond to the podcast jesse you get to talk to matt a little bit uh later on we're going to be doing a twitter poll John Mark, Matt Redman, Cage Fight, No Holds Barred. Who do you think would win? Two men in yeah. Hear them both today. You'll both get a chance to make your case for why you think you'd be the victor. And then we'll leave it in the hands of our Twitter. Chandler has promised to use his Shadow Cloud app to make sure that we get an accurate tally of the votes. <laughs> Two men enter, one man leave. Uh, John Mark, your weapon is a guitar. Matt Redman is coming with sharpened drumsticks. It's going to be... All right. <laughs> it's going to be ugly, but... We have to, we, we, the, the producers demanded it. We need to inject a little drama into the season of the relevant podcast. This yeah, is what man. we got. Yeah. Cage matches. I, I, we, before we started recording the three of the four of us were having a very interesting conversation about urban legends 
pre-internet urban legends, like stuff we all heard as kids, even though all four of us that are currently sitting around this table grew up in different parts of the country. And Mm -hmm. what we were kind of discussing for the listener's benefit here is, you know, it makes sense to me that in the ecosystem of like a middle school, that a rumor would get around about something like, you know, we were talking about like how elementary kids, elementary school kids had, and I won't, people can Google it. I'm not going to, this is a family show, but like there's a food color in yellow number five that every elementary school thought the same, had the same misconception about the health consequences. We heard weird rumors about Marilyn Manson. I remember hearing a rumor mm-hmm. as a kid that like, the the thing that changed Pee Wee Herman because remember when Pee Wee Herman got you know in trouble and there was those mug shots that went around and it was like I can't believe that's what Pee Wee yes. Herman and they're like you know what it is this is what I heard when I was a kid it's something with the bow tie in the suit that when he puts the bow tie in <laughs> it somehow changes his whole look and as a kid I'm like I don't understand it but you know this seems I didn't under I didn't understand why Pee Wee was even arrested you know <laughs> so anything they would have told me would have been so later in the show later in the show I want to after we go through slices uh, during the feedback I want to talk a little bit more about urban legends so stay tuned for that too because okay. I have All some right. thoughts about this and I think you guys did urban too. legend urban legend the, the the middle school urban legend ecosystem in which yeah, they can just like, be, like because because kids kids today you know middle schoolers today all, you know all are united by the internet right like they all probably uh-huh. saw the same instagram video or whatever you know but like when we when but prior to that how did these urban legends jump from school to school across the country it makes no sense yeah. how this happened you know it, it's it's a curious thing but i want to talk about it more later in the show during feedback okay. I think that's going to be your question of the week. I have theories. We'll come back to it. We'll 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 table that for now. We got a lot to get to today. We we we, this cage fight. John Mark needs to limber up a little bit. Needs to get needs to (laughs) stretch out. Just make sure (laughs) make sure you go to a gym that has music because otherwise it's just awkward grunting and breathing. That's all. Nobody's nobody's going to want to hear. We are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, time for slices. Listening to Unbroken Horses. That's by our guest today, John Mark McMillan. Beginning of the podcast, you heard Love of My Life by Summer Camp. Now it's time for our look back at some of our favorite stories that came across our desk this week. It's time for Slices. All right, Jesse, what do you got? All right, I have two that I want to talk about. One is a video that went viral. We posted it over on relevantmagazine.com that people can go see it, but I'm going to describe it uh, for people. And it is a video. I hope it's the one I'm thinking. I hope it's the one I'm thinking of because I think I I think I wrote you in all caps about it. You want to talk about uh, unbridled hope for the future? And and uh, th- this <laughs> okay. There's two anecdotes for for cynicism for my challenge to listeners today. One is go listen to people with dreams. The other one is to go watch this video, and you will be very hopeful about the present and the future with both of those things. <laughs> the video that I'm referring to was shot was posted was given to the world 
world by the crown prince of Dubai. He posted it on his Instagram feed, um, which which makes me very curious about what role the crown prince of Dubai, what uh-huh. it really is, other than just showing awesome stuff on Instagram. Like if you're if he's a prince. He's a prince. A prince. Yeah, that's what that's what princes do. I've seen the Fast and Furious movie that took place in Dubai. A lot of it is just figuring out how to jump Ferraris from one skyscraper to the other. Like we've all seen it. Okay, so this video shows a guy in like a motorcycle helmet and a very cool like leather suit, and he mm-hmm. has strapped onto his back wings like carbon fiber just straight up wings and some sort of like fuel. It's not like fire, but these big tanks that are shooting out some sort of gas or something. And he goes by Jetman. Okay. What first off, cool name. His Great real name. name is even cooler. His real name is Vice Refit. Okay. That's Jetman's <laughs> real name. If my name was Vice <laughs> Refit, I wouldn't need to be called Jetman. They're like, hey, dude, there's Vice Refit. Like, you, you miss opportunity there, Vice. Your first name is Vice. <laughs> that is, that is cool enough. You don't need to be Jetman. Anyway, so Jetman is standing there with his carbon fiber wings on with his like little, uh, uh, fuel things. And he, and he like, and he takes off from this platform over water. Okay. So he lifts Mm -hmm. off vertically. So he's like standing straight up, like moves forward with his little, you know, controllers. Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's almost like he's got like Nintendo Wii controllers in his hand, you know, like two kind of joystick type of deals. He flies vertically over water. So he's like in the standing position. Then all of a sudden he goes horizontal. So now he is horizontal over the water and takes off into the sky and just flies at an incredible speed into like the skyline of Dubai. He eventually does some cool tricks as a big loop. Uh, the flight lasts like three minutes. All of a sudden a parachute open and he and he and he scoots down out of the sky. It's the most inc- like, y- you know, when we were kids and we were promised all this, all this cool innovation when we got older. Yeah. Back to the future two type stuff. We'd have we, hoverboards. Yeah, yeah. We'd mm-hmm. have flying cars. We would like, look, man, if you would have shown me, you know, someone back in like the early 90s, like an iPhone, I'm sure they would have been pretty impressed. Right. But being able to touch a screen with your finger is objectively not as cool as a hoverboard. Okay. Like, like I think we can get or even self tying shoes. Like how can I they downgraded on the promise? I can FaceTime. Yeah, I can FaceTime an individual anywhere on this planet and look at them in the eyes, but I still don't have high tops that will, that will tie themselves. It just seems like a lot of empty promises, but this made me think, Hey man, that this cool tech stuff isn't that far away. Did you guys see the Jetman video? Yeah, I did. I did. It's it's pretty impressive. It is. It's hard to if you're not if you haven't watched it. It's hard to when when Jesse when you say that he zooms off at an incredible speed. You it's really that that, that doesn't quite convey. It is like he is he is going. At, I have no idea how fast he's going, but he is. He probably covers a solid what twelve hundred meters maybe in in just a it, matter it, of in seconds. In a flash, it, 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 and then he goes over. It says it says he reached twelve hundred meters above the Dubai skyline before he did a loop. This this video really changed me yesterday. It pulled me out of a funk. Uh, I haven't stopped thinking about it since. I watched it mo- no less than this is true two dozen times. Yeah, uh, because this is what, like you said, Jesse, this is what I was told 
was this in was the my promise. future. This was what, and here this guy is out here just living it, just doing his thing. And it's not, you've seen hoverboards before where they have like the water thing where it's like it mm-hmm. shoots water out of a yeah. hose attached to your back. This is not that. Yeah. This is, this is emphatically not a fancy hose. This is a <laughs> actual jetpack. And he, he's very graceful on it. Now he, I'm sure there's been practice. I'm sure my first attempt at a jetpack will end in my death. But, <laughs> but what a way to go! What, I mean, that's how. That's how. Yeah, yeah. What, what are my options? Yeah, that's, that's the one I want. That's the one I pick. I, I loved it, John Mark. When you, your first impression when you saw Jetman like fly out vertically and then just blast off into the skyline, what what were what were your what was your first thought? My thought was, I, I've dreamed of this for years, and mm-hmm. why is it a good idea? Like I, I think people, people, people are like, just, I guess just because you can do something you should, yeah. I thought, this is incredible. But like there, I, I don't think I thought when I was young, you know, when I was a kid growing up that like, I don't think I realized that there's like no function for this that warrants <laughs> the life threatening danger that you put yourself into, you know, but just, I guess just to do it is worth it though. It's incredible. But I was, yeah, I was just thinking about yeah. how dangerous it is and what function it actually accomplishes. That's worth the danger. Well, you know, the, the other part of this is this week, you know, Jeff Bezos, who's the richest human on the planet, from my understanding, I think he's worth somewhere in the neighborhood of like $130 billion. He, you know, obviously the owner of Amazon. Mm-hmm. And he pledged $10 billion to climate change. That's a lot of billion. money. Wow. I mean, 10 billion. 10, yeah, 10, 10, 10, 10 large to, to fight climate change. Admirable. And I encourage that. I think it's a great thing. But if you're Jeff Bezos and you're like, I just gave away 10 billion and guess what? I still have $120 billion. Like, <laughs> and you see how easily you can part with 10 and it really doesn't make a difference. At what point are you like, I'm going to buy $10 billion worth of jetpacks and just randomly <laughs> distribute them around the country. Like if I had that kind of money, I think I would do insane. Like nothing would stop me from watching these videos and be like, all right, I immediately need a bunch of jetpacks. You know, like <laughs> I don't know how guys like him have any restraint like every video like this i saw i would just start buying them up so bezos also since you bring it bringing it up he also this week set a record for the most money ever paid for a home yeah in california he bought a mansion uh in beverly hills 165 million dollar mansion which is that, that's a billionaire thing that's that's billionaire classic billionaire stuff i get yeah. it but I feel like billionaires are always buying new mansions, which is the most boring thing you could do as a billionaire. Yeah. Like setting aside my own moral issues with it, which I have plenty of and don't get me started. <laughs> All right. All right, Bernie bro. All right, Bernie bro. If you're going to, if you're going to spend your money selfishly, a mansion, like a mansion, it's just a house. Everybody's got a house. It's a big house. It's a house, but more of it. You could be buying you. We now know that instead of a jetpack, Jeff Bezos bought a house. This is what the idle rich do. This is why <laughs> this is why they should be voting for Bernie. So they could so he can take the money away from them and do actually cool stuff with it. Because this money is clearly broadening their brains. Well, no, here's the problem with billionaires. Not enough are just super, super weird. That's what we need more of. Exactly. Uh, like, exactly. Th- my, Say what you my issue, Elon Musk. Elon Musk is weird. He is that's what weird. I want. I want weird energy in my billionaires. Like, have you guys heard any interviews with Elon Musk? Yes. Just the famous one that on, uh, on the, the Rogan Joe podcast. Rogan, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. 
Okay, that, I mean, that whole was weird. time. That, that's weird. He, he sounds like he doesn't just sound like an alien that came to Earth that is trying to sound like what they think a billionaire would sound like. He sounds like an alien <laughs> built a robot to try to try. You know what I mean? He he is the perfect example. Like if I was a billionaire, like and I'm talking like real billionaire, like Bezos, you know, uh-huh. Elon Musk status, lots of money. I would I would do what like Benny Hinn decided to do a long time ago in televangelism is just like create my own look. You know, when Benny Hinn started wearing like the Morpheus (laughs) outfits, like he looked like, you know, when Benny Hinn decided he was going to start dressing like a televangelist from the future. Like that's what I would do if I was like a billionaire. I would have like this weird collarless blazer with my own. You know, Benny Hinn's emblem is like a dove, like embroidered on there. That's like it's not three quarter length. Like the length is is oddly long, but not like long enough where it's like a trench coat. I would do that. I would just have my own style, my own weird <laughs> tailored clothes. You know, I yeah. would go out there and be the just a branded. And I would go by one name, yeah. too. I would find like a one first name just to go, like Jetman, you know, <laughs> that, that would be that would be easy. This is why I completely sympathize with Bruce Wayne. That's the billionaire energy I want to see more of in the world. He's got a lot of money. He decided to do something unique with it that only he can do. Find Mm -hmm. your, if you're a billionaire, find your Bruce Wayne thing. It doesn't have to be fighting crime as a bat. Oh, that's a good option, but it could be, it could be, you could be Jetman. You could go build skyscrapers on the moon. You could put trampolines over the ocean. It doesn't matter. Do something cool with it. All right. So one more quick news story, guys. A neuroscientist scientist this week has uh you know he did some pretty intense research which involved talking to people all over the world for uh for two decades and tried to monitor uh when people just you know decided that they were most happy in life at what age do you re reach in your life peak happiness and this is across Mm -hmm. the across the world as he says from albania uh to zimbabwe 72 countries he did this research and he found the age where you reach peak happiness. All right, John Mark, I'm going to start with you. What do you think the, the age for the modern human oh. adult is to reach peak happiness? Oh, no, peak happiness. I don't know. Is it, <laughs> uh, it going to be like uh, 23? I'll say it, t- 23 is a very important time in the spectrum, but it is not actually peak happiness. Tyler, what is your guess? I'm going to say later. I'm going to say maybe in your 50s somewhere. Let's say like 55. Okay, Chandler, what what is your guess? Uh, I'll say 45. Peak happiness. Well, uh, uh, you guys have all missed it by several decades, sadly. <laughs> happiness doesn't peak according to this. And I'll, and I'll break down the research here because I find this really interesting. Happiness actually mm-hmm. doesn't peak until the age, according to the research, of 82 years old. And wow. uh, there are a lot of reasons for this. Actually, wow. what you're 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 actually less happy when you're younger. Like you go through sort of these peaks and there is a peak up at there is sort of like your childhood peak. You hit 23. You have a lot of optimism about the future. But your 20s and 30s are actually some of the low points in happiness. And it actually takes at the age of about 54 things take a pretty sharp upward mm. turn. So the happiness curve is almost is shaped like a U actually. So you start as an upside, you know, so like you start off as a kid 
you're pretty happy. Mm-hmm. And it's slowly as you get older, <laughs> go through high school, gets lower, lower, lower. The bottom of your of the you is actually like in your 30s. It's it's not till early 50s that that you picks back up mm-hmm. and you reach back to your childhood level of happiness at the age of 82. And he had some interesting observations and research for why that is. Primarily, it has to do with your own, with people's own expectations, where a lot of times sure. when you're in your 20s and sure. 30s, when you're at the low point of that, you so with the, 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 the implication is there is a hack here. There is a hack to make, uh, uh, the, the you less, you know, uh, less of a tall shape, like less of the, the curve, less of a dip. And that is because people, when they are younger, they actually have really high expectations for their life. And as those expectations seem to slip further and further out of reach, mm. Uh, they become less and less happy. It's not till the person reaches their early fifties when they realize like, okay, this is probably what my life is where it's not that they get complacent, but they become, they actually realize contentment and that rise in contentment actually continues all the way up into the eighties, all up into uh, the way up until a person's eighties because they're able to reflect on what their life was and where they are at the point hmm. with some sort of uh, objectivity, uh, you know, with this research in mind, does it, you know, obviously it's probably, it doesn't change your guys's mind about anything, but are those results surprising? I mean, all, all of us on here are, at the, you know, if you were to place us on this U curve, we would all be at the very low point right now. So I feel that is this is this research like surprising to you guys at all? It's not really surprising to me. I threw out twenty three just because it was a a number, but I think it makes. I actually think it makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Track, I would say that once you say it, that definitely tracks. And when you lay out lay it out like that, it tracks because I think I don't know my twenties especially. I feel generally speaking happier now than I was in my twenties. My twenties were just you're you're just so confused all the time and you don't know what anybody expects of you and you're just guessing and you got so many hormones that you just want to die. And then things <laughs> things do turn around as you like kind of grow up and and I feel I would say yeah generally speaking on a broad spectrum, I would say I feel if not if not happier then at least more aware of the expectations and the uh the, that that are laid out in front of me that makes sense so so john mark you you said you weren't surprised by it. and i think i think we may even kind of talk to an extent about you know the the idea in the uh, past episodes about how kind of ambitions can uh, uh, hinder our ability to be content. But do you ever, this, this is something that I feel like a lot of people in our generation or around our generation struggle with, particularly, I don't think like Instagram culture does anything to help this, but wrestle with the idea of the tension between contentment and complacency, right? Where, yeah. you know, sometimes do you guys ever feel this, that people in our generation almost, you know, feel guilty for being content? Like, do you guys Mm. ever wrestle with that? Like, I shouldn't be, I should be unsettled. I shouldn't be complacent. I should be keep driving. I should hustle. I should do this. I should like, do you guys ever wrestle with that tension between contentment and complacency? I do. I think these days it's a little bit the other way around for me though. I'm like, why am I not happy with my life? I mean, I am happy with my life, but Mm. when I'm unhappy, I'm like, why am I, why am I not happy? Like I have pretty much Mm. everything that I want and having traveled the world a good bit, like, 
I realized that like, you know, most of us are doing insanely well, you know, even yeah. the, yeah. even the ones of us who aren't doing great comparatively in the United States, like we're still doing really, really well. So it's like, how much is enough? And then you reach that point where you're like, oh, maybe these two things aren't connected, you know? Yeah. And, and so sometimes yeah, I do yeah, sit around yeah. and think, why am I so ambitious? Like I should be, be cool with <laughs> the way things are, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. and I have to, I have to tell myself two things. One is like, okay, it's okay to have a little bit of ambition. Just try and be responsible with it, you know? Uh, and the other yeah. is that like, Hey, don't, you know, don't get too weird. Like life is good. You have food to eat, <laughs> you know? And if you, yeah. if, you yeah. if you died tomorrow, you had a whole lot of fun. So, <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like even our conversation about libraries. It's like I go to a library. I'm like, man, it's awkwardly quiet in here. Sure are a lot of books. And, I, and then there's just some old guy just sitting in the corner, like just staring off. And I'm like, that guy's actually probably way more chill than I am. Like he's he has no device. He just wandered in here and take a, took a seat and he's got nothing he's got to do this afternoon. That guy, that guy's got to figure it out. So, yeah, I, 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 I can understand the logic behind the, the, the research. Uh, Tyler, Tyler, what do you got for us, man? All right. I got two. We'll, we'll keep it quick here. First of all, we'll start with kind of a lighter one. Uh, I think listeners know that one of my favorite beats, one of my favorite storylines is a really good grift or a con or a scheme. Those yes. are, I, I live, I live, those are just, just given to me. Oh, I, I want to see how people are out there getting theirs. And I came across a good one from a couple of weeks ago. So this comes to us from stealing Adam. from public libraries, <laughs> guys, you'll never get caught. <laughs> and I wanted to pitch you guys on this one. Cause I think we could pull it off just ourselves. No, this comes from Atlanta. So in Atlanta, a couple of weeks ago, over a weekend, multiple boutique hotels were visited by the Wu-Tang Clan in a Rolls-Royce Phantom to have been rented from a national limousine. The first uh, 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 boutique hotel uh, we went to, $60,000 were racked up in a uh, in, uh, room service. Uh, then at the next one, uh were paid. At the third boutique hotel that was called, and 10 rooms were rented out by the Wu-Tang Clan and their entourage, somebody on staff there got a little bit suspicious, put in a call to Rock Nation, who told them that the Wu-Tang Clan was not in Atlanta at the moment and had no plans to be so. What had actually happened was two guys had just said they were in the Wu-Tang Clan. They had found a few people, total strangers, told them to pose as bodyguards, started going around to the bars, getting everybody else to join them. Oh, there's, we're with the Wu-Tang, hanging out with the Wu-Tang Clan. Got, uh, were able to grift out of a Rolls Royce because of this and started just going around partying in Atlanta all on the fiction of telling people that they were part of the Wu-Tang Clan before they finally, the, the gig was up and the cops pulled them in and they, they were arrested with uh, with $100,000 in unpaid and unpaid bills that they'd racked up during this. Ra- now, I love this story and I do not obviously condone crime or lying or deception. But if you set aside, if you're not, if you're not talking about that, I love the idea that you could like, there are nine people in the Wu-Tang clan. I can't say for sure that I would know that if somebody came in here and told me they were in the Wu-Tang clan, I'd be like, huh? 
possible, I guess. I, can, says, I don't yeah, know. It's one I, of the ones I, I forgot about. I, I, yeah, know, yeah. I, I know some of the main players in there and they kind of shift members sometimes. So it's possible this could be a new one. It seems like a really, that's a really solid hook to hang your grift on. And they got away with a hundred thousand dollars worth of partying. That's, I mean, there's going to be some jail time, I'm sure, but that's a small <laughs> price to pay for a really great weekend for rolling around like that. You, you juiced that for all it was worth. My question to you is if you decided to, that you wanted to go, just, just go all the way. You wanted to go for it. What, what band is your grift band? Who do you feel like you could get away with saying, Oh, I'm in these. And people would just like let you into the front door and start serving you up whatever you wanted. <laughs> Bottle service and the nice hotel rooms. I, I think I would do someone that people know the name, but most people aren't like, you know, I mean, there are per, a certain segment of person that could identify the person. I would grow my hair long and I would just tell people, oh, dude, I, you know, I, I would spread the rumor. I'd be like, hey, Tame Impala's here. You know, like <laughs> everyone knows like the name Tame Impala, but I feel like, I mean, I can picture him. I've seen him live, but That's like guy, at the yeah. same, yeah, yeah, at the same time, like most people, if you're like Tame Impala and it's like, well, there's a tallish white guy with long yeah. hair and a beard. Sure. That could <laughs> be right. him. That could be him. I don't know. I don't know. But he's got bottle service. So I feel like Maroon yeah, that, Five is one as an easy. That's a one. great one. Just that's because, a great one. Uh, everyone knows the lead singer, but you could easily be the, the bass player or something. <laughs> a lot of those rock bands. A lot of those rock bands. You cut out the the face of the of the lead singer and a picture of the band, and I am I am lost. Uh, one Republic. <laughs> Uh, sure, I guess that's a possibility. Coldplay. Yeah, if you maybe. just walk into a boutique hotel and be like, a hotel, and you're like, I'm the drummer for Coldplay, I'd be like, sure. all right, sure. I mean, good thing. <laughs> like, why not? I, you know, I mean, you you say so. good. Who well, knows? Yeah. So I've actually done this before. And what? Um, we do <laughs> in, in airports. I used to tell my band guys, it's like, if you guys are up to no good, like do not tell them you're in my band. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, if you guys are not up to no good, but it's like, if you guys just maybe uh, whatever it is you're doing, think about whether or not how that reflects on me. And if you don't think it would reflect good, be another band. All right. Be another band. <laughs> I so, love that you have to have the talk with your band. It's gotten yeah, better yeah. over the years. We're a lot more mature than we were yeah. when we were younger, but I think that for a while they were Katy Perry's band. So they're like, yeah, she's flying, a, you know, oh, like that's a, that's an she's easy not, one. she doesn't fly commercial, <laughs> but she's not taking us on the plane, you know? So they used to get yeah. free stuff all the time being in Katy Perry's band. Then the worst one ever, <laughs> I, this is the worst story ever is the band guys were stone Temple pilots. One time the guy came up, he's like, Hey, cause you're carrying guitars to the airport. Right. And so yeah, uh, yeah. And some of my guys, you know, especially back in the day, are like we're all black, skinny, long hair, and they look like they're in a band. So they, you guys, what, what band are you in? And, and, and the guy's like, just to whatever. They're like, yeah, we're in the Stone Temple Pilots. And the guy's like, oh, this is my brother's favorite band. Can we take a picture with you? And they're like, <laughs> oh, they didn't no. know what to do. <laughs> and so he runs off to get oh, his no. brother and he comes around the corner pushing a wheelchair. Right. Oh, and his brother is handicapped. And they uh, they didn't know what to do. His oh, brother Danny is, is no. also um, uh, mentally handicapped as well, and um, they they didn't know what to do, so they took the picture with him. 
And oh, uh, no. oh, oh but no. what, what do you do at that point? Do you say, <laughs> I'm sorry, guys, we were, li- oh. we're, we were lying. We're not really Stone Temple Pilots. Or do you take the picture with the kid and move on? Yeah, so. I feel like you don't, ha- you're too, you're in too deep at that point. I know. You're oh, in too deep. I you know. Have, you, well, it was funny like until Scott it wasn't. Sutz. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Maybe you guys should go back to being Katy Perry's band. I don't know. <laughs> well, the great thing about Katy, doing Katy Perry's band is one, the, you know, I'm sure her band, you know, could be interchangeable and no one would, you know, yeah. No, they're, they're like professional musicians. You know, I'm not disparaging Katy Perry's band. I'm sure, sure. they're they're great humans and, and great musicians. But 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 also, Katy Perry's band is nobody's favorite band. <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? yeah. Like no one's gonna be like, hey, I gotta get a picture with Katy Perry's band. Like that is not a picture anyone no, uh-huh. would, exactly. would. You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah that's if, funny. Okay. The, Hard lesson learned. Uh, the yeah. the second the second story. This is a we we've been covering this and may continue to cover this. This has been a, a story that's been taking shape over the last week or so. Just wanted to get y'all's thoughts on it. Jesse, you and I discussed this a little bit yesterday, but this comes to us from down in Waco, Baylor University, where Caitlin Curtis gave a chapel speech last week. Caitlin Curtis, yeah. uh, uh, author, a uh, poet, uh, a storyteller. Uh, she is a, a member of the Potawatomi tribe and she has been a, I, I've been uh, a fan of hers on the sidelines for a while and really appreciated her, her, her witness and the way that she really has incorporated her own uh, identity as a member of an indigenous people group into her conversations about Christianity and God. So she went down to uh, to Baylor and gave a chapel speech where she talked about uh, really talked about a lot of justice subject about white supremacy. Uh, she talked a lot about uh, about feminism and, and the discrimination that women face in the church today. And of course, she talked about the fact uh, of how much the land that they were currently on had been taken away from uh, from native groups uh, hundreds of years ago, and that's still a, a, an issue that's faced. It was a very compelling speech that's been posted at relevantmagazine.com. I would encourage you to go watch it. That was, uh, it was, as you might expect as well, uh, quite controversial with some members, including a student group, a Baylor student group called the Young Conservatives of Texas took a lot of issue with what she said. They posted a whole statement about it on Twitter, taking issue with a few things. They really led with this uh with this criticism that she had prayed. They said they, she had addressed her prayer to Mother Mystery in her speech and uh and in fact they uh they, they told reporters a representative of the group named Jake Nieder told reporters i mean she didn't pray to god and that's what's most offensive so i dug into this a little bit yesterday i watched her whole speech i could not see any evidence in that speech that she addressed a prayer to mother mystery there were two other chapel speeches uh Baylor University in a statement said that they also could find no uh, evidence of her referring to Mother Mystery. I reached out to the uh, to Baylor Young Conservatives of Texas over Twitter. Um, they said that they basically doubled down on their claim. They, they said, we've had several people confirm to us that they also heard her say that um, Baylor has only posted footage from one service, so we have no way of confirming. If she did not say that, we would apologize for specifically highlighting that, but it was only one of her many problems. 
Uh, so they they uh, I'm standing by what they said. Basically, there's a lot going on here, obviously, and and uh, there's been uh, some chatter from both sides. There was an apology that was uh, an open apology written by a Baylor alumni who really thanked Caitlin for what she said and, and did apologize for how he viewed her treatment by some groups and alumni at the school but it it also just raises up a lot of the uh a lot of a lot of touchy subjects that have continued to haunt the church over the past uh centuries frankly but have definitely become uh, a little more divisive and and hot button issues over the past couple of years and, and when we posted the full her full trailer and Tyler you and I talked about this a lot uh, you know i think that i mean you, you know the resistance to ideas that challenge our own. I think that's the most concerning element of this story is that, you know, just because there is a group of students at Baylor who may disagree or may have a different perspective than Caitlin does on some of these really important things that she talked about in the chapel service, that the response isn't to engage with those ideas, but it's to try to publicly discredit her, you know, by fabricating things that she said by threatening, you know, you, you see this, you know, sometimes people threaten boycotts or try to get, you know, demand apologies. And it's like, what's the big deal? Like she has a unique perspective that she's willing to share. That's a college. It's a place where people go to exchange ideas. What's the problem with, you know, someone, you know, saying things that like, why is the response defense and outrage instead of like, oh, well, that's, I you know, mm-hmm. I may agree, I may not, but at least someone's kind of, you know, challenging me here. Maybe I'm even if I'm just getting a fresh perspective, I think that to me is the most concerning part. And, and but it's not limited to this. You see it all the time, especially with Christians like, oh, man, he said something I don't 100 percent agree with. So therefore, you know, we I'm no longer to buy his books or whatever anymore. It's like, why is that the response? It just that that, that just seems so counterproductive to me, you know? I think so. I think that Baylor issued their own response saying that uh, they kind of in in their statement kind of implying that I I think the words were veered off topic from the discussion Uh, over Twitter. She disputed that. But I think that that's Jesse. I think the crux of it is really like college is a great time to be exposed to different ideas than what you grew up with and and what you've decided on. It's there's there's such a easy safety net for for you at that time because there are so many people in college who are smarter than you who are around professors and and uh, even older students who you can go to and say here's what i heard well i don't know what to think about this or this doesn't line up with what i was taught before and it's a great time to be exposed to to ideas that you don't agree with and to be changed like if you that should be hopefully the, the reason you're going to college is to learn things that you didn't know when you were in high school, which shouldn't be that there's a lot of things you don't know in high school. So uh, yeah, I guess I, I would encourage people who are, who, who, when you encountered new and different ideas to disagree with them or agree with them without saying, not only do I disagree with this, but it shouldn't be said and people should apologize to me for saying it to me. John Mark, you're you're an artist and someone yep. who, you know, releases, you know, through your art, a lot of different ideas. And, you know, part of your audience is obviously kind of in the faith, uh, you know, space. So is this something you've experienced, too, where maybe you've written something or said something or uh, released something that 
maybe isn't in alignment with all of what your audience thinks and their reaction is less than supportive. Is this something that that you experience or something that it, it is even concerns you? Yeah, no. In terms of like your your own release release. It's definitely yeah. happened to me before. Like I put out a song called No Country which was I wrote it and released it before the presidential election, right? Mm-hmm. But when it came out, um the video came out like the week of the election. And I got accused by so many people of being like anti-America and anti-Trump, you uh-huh. know, at the time. And I'm not yeah. even going to get into that right now. But I was, but at the time, I was like, hey, guys, I wrote and recorded this song before the election. I was like, so you realize, mm-hmm. like, uh-huh. if Hillary had won, I'd you'd be accusing me of, you, you, <laughs> you know, of being anti-Hillary. Yeah, I was like, yeah, like yeah. how do, do you, you think I did this, like, overnight? Like, you literally think, like after the election, like I recorded and filmed this video and wrote, recorded and filmed this video and put it on. So I don't know, man. I, I think that people, and I, we're probably all like this, like people respond more to tend to respond more to signals than they do to content. Hmm. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, and so I think a lot of people just take the surface level words, you know, and, and then, and they react to those words and rarely do they ever dig in and try and understand what's actually being said. You know, yeah. the song was called no country. So they thought, Oh, I must be hating America. Cause I'm like, guys, don't you realize I'm a spiritual artist. And most of what I say is a metaphor for something else. Like yeah. <laughs> have you learned anything by now. If you're a fan, don't you realize that most of what I'm saying is like su- super layered and like, is talking about something else. Like, so I don't know, yeah. I've, 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 but yeah, I have had that happen. And it's, it is really interesting. Other times I thought I'm going to offend people with something I'm saying, but you signal correctly. This sounds really condescending. I don't mean it this way. No, no. Can, I, I know I, what you I, mean. I, I know yeah. what you mean. If you, like most people yeah. are responding to signals. And this is what I, not knowing the depth of this particular situation. It's sort yeah. of like, it is interesting to me that they're responding to like mother mystery. But personification is something we do in literature all the time. You personify yeah. an idea to help you understand it. You know, like, but I think it's really a redirection. It's sort of like she's praying to mother mystery. That could be a way to talk about God for sure. I was like, but you're definitely like connecting your, your, your issue is with the signal. It's more than with the content yeah. because you exactly. know, also people murdered men, women, and children in the name of God, you know? So like they use yeah. your correct name of God to murder these people. But she's mm. maybe personifying a portion of God using a poetic literary device, and you're mad about that. It's, you know, but that's super common. People respond to the signal, you know, and it has yeah. more to do with their tribe and their affiliation than it does with the actual. I mean, I'm being a little heavy handed here at this point. I'm being real over generalizing, but that's my take on it. No, no, I. I know. I, I think that's smart. And I think they kind of showed their cards to a degree in, you know, this this group of Baylor students when they, you know, said, you know, once again, another liberal woke message or, so, or something along those lines, you know, and it's like, OK, so your problem isn't with the substance of what she was saying. Yeah. You know, it's it's that she, you know, m- might in their minds represent a, uh, you know, political affiliation that. You know, again, like you, you start layering on top 
of her message, all of, like you said, these sort of like the, these signals that, you know, overtake the, the message, not on her. That's not her fault. That's the, the fault of kind of not coming into something open minded, but certainly an interesting. And we've reached out to Caitlin, too. Right. Tyler, try yes. to get. Uh, yes. uh, her comments, which hopefully we can we can bring people later. This I, 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 w- I think that disagreement is really good in the faith sphere. I, I think that people debating th- that, that's as old as the church that, that goes all the way back to, uh, to the book of Genesis. People arguing about these things. It's helpful. It's healthy. It's helpful. It's good. Uh, it, it's just I, I wish it could happen without the the like attempts at at, at censorship that it seems to come with yeah. a lot of the times and, uh, and the need for apologies. So I appreciate your thoughts on that, John Mark, that those are helpful. Yeah. You must, have, yeah, you must, sure. you clearly have some experience in this realm. <laughs> <laughs> One time I got into it at an airport with stone temple pilots and man, it was <laughs> those guys, man. <laughs> Didn't even know any STP songs. Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Unprofessional. Interstate love song, man. <laughs> well, that'll do it for this week's Slices. Stay tuned. When we come back, Matt Redman joins us. Listening to The Same Room by our guest today, Matt Redman. Matt is a worship artist and songwriter, and in his new album, Let There Be Wonder, he explores both the mystery and the reverence of God. Jesse, you recently spoke with Matt about the album and why he took the approach of exploring mystery and more. Uh, how did this conversation go? I, I always Matt, Matt's a fun one to talk to. He's so thoughtful. Well, that that's what immediately strikes you when you talk to Matt Redman is how thoughtful he responds, not just to the questions, but really kind of like the, the heart of what I wanted to drill down to. He's really excited to talk about because he was very intentional with this album. Uh, this album, you know, we, we talked about mystery just a few minutes ago. This album deals with with that idea. And I wanted to ask him specifically like you know we're we're at a time where a lot of people sort of have this relationship with the concept of certainty um that is kind of curious where Mm -hmm. they're they're afraid of the things that they don't know but really what matt redmond wanted to do on this album was talk about wonder talk about mystery and, and and you know in light of how people a lot of people you know really kind of value certainty i wanted to ask him about that approach and why he wanted to instead talk about wonder that's a really interesting thing about you know the, this kind of leaning into a certainty but maybe sometimes lacking something of the poetic and the mysterious and the, and the wonder side of things and, and actually i think it's an essential ingredient in worship i mean it's a huge part of how we're made isn't it as humans um but but also it's you can't really have biblical worship without wonder I, w- I would say you can adore someone without wonder. You can applaud them. You could admire them, appreciate them without wonder. You cannot worship without wonder. For worship really to be biblical worship, it has to have this this element of the otherly. Like you, you are not like us. You are completely off the charts of anything we could fathom or imagine or comprehend. And 
of course, it's an easy thing to say, but it's, it's a tougher thing to do. Um, particularly maybe in this day and age where things in society are into the, the familiar and the up close and the reality TV and the, you know, kicking mystery out of the equation. So in the face of sometimes culture going the other way, you have to fight for wonder and mystery and reverence to still have a look in when it comes to worship. Huh. So a really interesting approach yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that that he, he kind of wants to kind of break down, you know, make this album really centered on kind of the big things of God, maybe even the things of God that we don't necessarily know instead of just the ones that we do. This is something that I that when I say thoughtful about Matt, it's I'm not throwing shade on anybody here, but sometimes when you talk to some worship artists, when you hear some worship songs, uh, you get the sense that it can kind of it's kind of on autopilot. God does this. Awesome. This, yeah. He's awesome. And Matt never Matt always has a point. Matt is always thinking about something and he wants his th- songs to be about things and that really shows through in this album yeah and for sure and that's that's the, that's what i wanted to kind of also talk to him about is how do you capture that idea of wonder in a worship song and it's not just one song it's really the intentionality of the whole album kind of points to these different ideas at different times but it really kind of circles this 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 concept of of wonder yeah, and and, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and reverence <laughs> and mystery and here's matt kind of talking about how he you know sought to capture that this is Funny thing is a songwriter where you can be a you know just a normal songwriter and you're just whatever comes to you wherever wherever you're at emotionally whatever you want to say you can say but when it comes to writing um, songs which you you are intending to be sung by people in church and it's a kind of fearful task in a way because you're actually claiming that this is how you can talk to God and this is what God's like and and so one thing you're always doing is writing your songs and then reading scripture and hoping they can match as much as possible. You know, and, and I guess the the thing is sometimes you can be reading script, scripture and then you start singing a song and you, you feel like now we're singing like a God-like version. You know, this is, this is the dumbed down, this is the simplified or diluted version. And so everything in you is trying to, um, it's, 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 like you say, it's kind of an impossible task, but it's something we have to at least reach for. I want somehow in through the music, through the lyrics to try and paint a big picture of God and, and, you know, the God who thunders and whispers, the God who terrifies and befriends, he's the lion and the lamb. He's, um, he's the one who, whose footstool is the earth. And yet he knelt down and, and washed the feet off the earth, uh, washed the earth off the feet of his disciples. This is the God we worship and somehow trying to draw people into yeah, that sense of wonder and mystery. So, so you know, you kind of heard that answer. Uh, the, you know, these idea of like paradoxes, right? Mm-hmm. Where where God is mighty and righteous, but He also, you know, values humility. And you look at the life of Jesus, and and, there, and there's lots of these paradoxes, and that's something He worked really hard um, to kind of. Uh, underscore in the album. And so I wanted to ask directly about that because that seems like something that would be challenging for me as, as, as a writer and a songwriter mm-hmm. to make these paradoxes something that uh, people can understand but also make for powerful worship songs. And here's him talking about that. I feel like the more you paint a backdrop of majesty, magnificence, mystery, holiness, reverence you know some of these big grand themes and then onto that you project the cross or the father heart of god or the fact that you know in the new testament jesus calls his disciples friends 
you know, and therefore cause us friends. If you can do both, then that's really where, uh, I was going to say where the magic's happening, but magic's not a good worship word. (laughs) That's where the explosion of the soul is happening. And that's where, you know, how can it be that one as high and holy as him uh, would want anything to do with someone like me? And, um, you know, I heard this uh, quote, and it's kind of like a big theological mouthful, but these, these guys, Olsen and Grentz, they wrote this book, 20th Century Theology, and they said in it, um, uh, God is imminent within human experience as the transcendent mystery that cannot be comprehended in spite of his absolute nearness. And I guess what they were saying is, if you draw near to God, and when you draw near to him, you, what you find is like a tame, ordinary, um, domesticated form of God, that you're not as close as you like to think. When you draw near to God, yes, your sense his mercy more than ever. Yes, you'll sense his grace and his love and his kindness more than ever, but you also sense his holiness and his greatness and grandeur more than ever. And and so I guess it worries me sometimes when we say we're drawing into God, but all we're finding is this kind of very friendly version of God. That is an amazing part, the friendship of God. Um, but when we draw near to him, we should also be burning up with his holiness. The final question that I, I want to, yeah, I want people to hear his response to, and I was a little not nervous to ask him, but I didn't want to make it seem like I was talking about any one person or any one album because I'm really not. But there are a lot of worship albums out there that, or a lot of worship songs where it talks about what God can do for us. You know how God can you know be our deliverer, mm. our healer, and there's nothing wrong with those, right? Like, but but they seem very focused on ourselves instead yeah. of putting you know. Sure, sure. Uh, and this album is different. Uh, you know, the, the I hope th- this hopefully doesn't sound cliche, but I think this is a very like vertically focused album. You, you, that makes sense to you, right? I, I know exactly what you mean. And I think that you're right that there's nothing wrong with, with uh, what we'll call horizontal focused worship albums as long as they're part of a diet like there there is otherwise you don't want to get to if you focus on just one thing you're missing out on a really important part of how we relate to god and and, but i wanted to ask you know matt directly was your focus making something that was sort more sort of like from the vertical perspective of just you know kind of talking about god for who he is you know regardless of what he, he he can do for us and and that really you know was sort of their intention going in, and he was excited to oh, talk cool. about that. And here here's here's him t- discussing it. I think we're in this danger sometimes where every song is about me and Jesus here and now, you know. And and there's there's something wonderful about that. We worship the living God. We worship the God who we can know His presence, and we worship the God who we can you know have communion with and encounter and experience Him. And so that's. There's something really cool about that, but that can't be all that we're singing about. And I want us, you know, we're not just singing about the God of today and the God who is. We're singing about the God who was and is and is to come. We're singing about the God of yesterday, today, and forever. And what I've tried to do with some of these songs is make sure that we realize we're part of this grander story, this epic love drama with God. This, this, there's, a, there's a whole wider scope um, to what we're caught up in here. and. You know, so I think in three songs on the album, um, All Praise and Upon Him and uh, The Same Jesus, we talk about the, the return of Christ. And that's because it's really it's a really important part of the, the story. Then, of course, tons of songs we talk about all that he's done in the past. And that that's really my 
aim. Someone once explained it to me is these three elements of reenactment, realization, and anticipation. So reenactment, we're telling the old, old story. Realization, what does that story mean to us and me right here today? And then anticipation. This isn't even the end of the story. There's so much more to come. Um, so I, I love that you, you, you've uh, called that out. That, that's definitely what we were aiming for. That was, you know, Matt Redman. We really appreciate his thoughts. Tyler, the album, which I, again, I, I've been listening to a lot along with John Mark's album, but it's Let There Be Wonder. It is out now. Thanks a lot. And thanks, Matt, for joining us. That was Matt Redman. Up next, it's your feedback. Listening to Be Afraid by Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit. I tell people I'm part of Jason O. Isbell's 400 Unit. There's 400 trash people. Hotels. There's 400 people in the band. <laughs> how, how would they know? How are they going to know? How are they going to know? <laughs> Uh, so last week, oh, these are good. Last week, we asked you about uh, a couple of things. Among them, your worst date stories for Valentine's Day. The worst dates you have been on. Here are a few of our favorites. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Adam said, uh, I, <laughs> I took a girl I'd been dating for a week as my date to a wedding four hours away. So he's been dating the girl for a week. Mm-hmm. They get in the car. When we got there, they drove the four hours. We learned on that they came on the wrong day because Adam didn't look at the the, the invitation closely enough. They ended up re- ha- crashing the rehearsal. He didn't tell us what happened, what the outcome of the date was, but that's pretty embarrassing. But at least they got a good rehearsal dinner out of it, you know. But uh, that yeah, does seem true. like things you'd you'd, you'd want to check out on. I told this story before. It doesn't have to do with the date, but when I was a kid, my most embarrassing moment as a child, and I still remember this is how scarred I was. Uh, it was an elementary school how. Halloween party and or at least that's what I thought it was but it turned out that was later on the school pack calendar I don't know where the miss I was in third grade this is my mom's fault not mine because I dress up to go to school event in a really cheesy homemade lion cut co- like when I say homemade I mean like fabric store you know like it was barely recognized as a lion like it was just like why is Jesse dressed so oddly in his face painted like in those like weird <laughs> earth tones and it was like guys I'm a lion for the Halloween party and I show up I go to the auditorium not a single person is in costume <laughs> wrong date wrong event and i'm the weirdo dressed in a homemade lion costume so adam we we could see how those mistakes happen hey, hey Tom, what do you read what happened to jacob here? yeah this is a good one okay so jacob says that back in college he went to a lacrae concert with a girl at dinner shortly before the concert the girl got a call from her mom letting her know her grandfather had just passed away uh he offered to reschedule and go another time but she wanted to go to the concerts <laughs> <laughs> So it ended up being a fine date, uh, it sounds like. Just a sort of the specter yeah, of death this, hanging over it the entire no, time. Gr- gr- granddad would have wanted me to go see Lecrae <laughs> and Andy Minio. He would not want me to miss this. I don't know when they'll be in town again. All right. So, uh, Jesse, can, I you read this, another... uh, can you read this? Uh, we have an update here, right? 
Oh, oh well, I'll tell you what. Let's do that. I want to get into the Indiana. I want to get into the pizza. Let's do. We do let's have a pizza kitchen update. A crime, our true crime a, investigation. A, yeah, let's do PizzaGate next week. Uh, give right, an update. Right, so we right, do have right, an update right, because an I want to. Talk, I want to do one thing before we go. Um, we were talking earlier about the er, because we need to do a question of the week. We need to ask listeners something, and I want listeners to tweet us, and we'll read feedback on the air. And the, this, this, so t- so Chandler, here's this week's editorial question of the week. Hey. What urban legend, pre-internet urban legend that they heard in, you know, okay. middle school, junior right. high, um, elementary school that seemed very odd, but also plausible. And I want to read some because I want to see if people in other parts of the country had experienced this. We we're talking about this before the show because, you know, John, Mark, you and I, we grew up hours and hours from each other. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yet we both heard the same weird movie uh, rumors about uh, Marilyn Manson, about Yellow Five, <laughs> about Pee Wee Herman. Like, I want to know how these get from one school to the other without, without the benefit of the Internet. What Do you guys have any other weird rumors that you remember hearing as a kid mm-hmm. that, that it just seemed like, well, yeah, every kid thought that. I heard that in real life, the band Stone Temple Pilots were real jerks if you beat them. <laughs> That's what I heard. I heard they're very ill-behaved. They do a lot of crazy things in the airport. <laughs> Chandler, what, what, or do you have any that you remember? I feel like there was a lot around Pee Wee Herman, but I don't really remember any yeah, in particular. Yeah. Pee-wee yeah, and Marilyn yeah. Manson. You mentioned Marilyn Manson, and I heard yeah, yeah. I heard a lot of he that he had been in uh what what show was he supposedly in? Oh, hey, the Wonder Years. Yeah, Everyone he, was supposedly, Mar- he, he was supposedly in Wonder Years. Yeah. Everyone's yeah. like, yeah, it's it's Paul or or whatever mm-hmm, the kid's yeah. name was from the Wonder Years. And it's like, and I just believed it to mm-hmm. be true for a long time. Yeah. And it's like, no, 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 that is it is not true at all. So uh listeners can tweet us at relevant podcasts, the weird urban legends that because we want to we want to figure out how these got around pre-internet it's it's every small town has them and it's very very weird that it happened but i'm i'm here for this i want to i want to hear other people's all right i'm looking forward to the because and i want to see how many how much overlap we get from those two you know like i want to see if there's if we if everybody heard from from coast to coast no if we if we anybody heard the same or similar rumors yeah yeah we want to know your pre-internet urban legends Uh that you totally believe when you're all right many thanks to matt redmond for joining us his new album let there be wonder is out now also john mark thanks for joining us man yeah thank you that was cool Always, always cool when, you, when you're able to come along. You bring you always bring a lot of wisdom to the podcast. You keep us you keep us grounded, John Mark, and I appreciate <laughs> yeah, that. Well. It's when, when, John Mark. When you're not on, it's almost unlistenable. <laughs> I mean, it is just it's just ramblings. It's just insane ramblings. People with dreams out now, and you have a tour coming up, and it kicks off April, April. right, John Mark? Yep. Mm-hmm. It does. Kicks off in April. Don't tell Matt this, but I am rooting for you in the fight. You've got, I'm not supposed to have favorites. So I'm, I'm supposed to stay objective, but but I, but but you got my vote. Hey, I know Matt, and he's he's scrappy. So all right, well, all right. Well, he don't, seems don't count he him seems out. scrappy. Yeah. He he seems like the type that would be like because he is he a, where is he from? Like where what's his accent? Uh, do you know John Mark? He's English. I don't know what part of the UK okay. he's from, but he's English. Yeah. Because because I I knew it was English. I couldn't tell because it's it's. I I thought is this New Zealand? But I yeah. okay. So it's English. He seems like the type that would be like, all right, mate. Let, let's start, we'll start the fight in one sec. I just need to tie my shoe, and then he goes, ah! and he throws like sand in your eyes. And you're like, your shoes were tied the whole time. You know that's. 
So in your mind, he's not, like, he's not like one of those honorable British fighters. He's more like a Guy Ritchie from Snatch British fighter. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. He's, he's mixing it up. Yeah, yeah he mixes he's going to bring it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, good luck, both, <laughs> good luck to both of you guys. Well, thank you. Uh, uh, hey, as long as you are all on our uh, on the Apple podcast page, go ahead and check out Relevant Daily. It's a podcast that comes at you Monday through Friday with the top three stories at the intersection of faith and culture we bring to you every week. And I think with that, we'll wrap it up. I'm Tyler Huckabee. I'm Chandler String. I'm Jesse Carey. I'm John Mark McMillan. Have a great week, everyone. We'll see you next time. for listening to The Relevant Podcast. If you like what you heard, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Check out other shows from The Relevant Podcast Network in the podcast section at relevantmagazine.com. And while you're there, browse exclusive podcast merchandise at our online store. Make sure to subscribe to Relevant Magazine. Info is available at relevantmagazine.com forward slash subscribe. Relevant Podcast Network.